and welcome to Who Corner to Corner podcast. My name's Jeff, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend Paul. Yes, hello, that's me. I am the good friend Paul. So, <laughs> you you make me sound like a ship. Ship, yeah. <laughs> the good friend Paul has <laughs> left the dock. Um, so I'm just going to keep this intro short because uh, we're not alone again tonight. In fact, we've got two uh, yeah, interviewees for you to tie in with the release of the new Target novelizations. Yeah. And we're talking to James Moran, who wrote Fires of Pompeii. And we're talking to Rona Munro, who wrote The Eaters of mm. Light. So, Paul, uh, we should just get straight on with it, I think, really. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's not keep our good listeners waiting. Both Jeff and I are incredibly pleased and delighted to welcome to our little podcast the amazing author Rona Munro. Hello, Rona. Hello, lovely to be here. Thank you Hiya. so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks yes. for joining us. So, um, we've got a lot of questions. We've got some questions which both Jeff and I um, thought up ourselves in one of our fever dreams, but we also have uh, a bunch of questions from our following Twitter people as well. So, what I'd like to do, if that's okay, is start from the very beginning, uh, your origin story, if you like, and just tell us, was it always, Rona, your plan to become a writer? Um, From quite a young age, I was about eight um, when I decided that is quite young. that's what I wanted to do. yeah, I wanted to be think, an astronaut at that age. That never happened. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was another option. That was we all, didn't we? Yeah, um, but uh, it was, I think, helped by the fact that um, I had um, a relative yeah. who was a writer, so I knew it was a possible thing to do. Um, and also he really encouraged me. He was a wonderful guy called Angus McVicker who wrote some very early um, science fiction and uh, is not so well known now, but he was very successful in his day. Yeah. So I kind of had that example. I knew it was something you could do and make a living out of and uh, it really appealed to me. And, and was it was it science fiction particularly that you liked? Was it all kinds of other influences? Because you, you have a very strong kind of historical and mythical aspect to a lot of your fiction. I think that's absolutely correct, yeah. I think that's what I've always been drawn to and in my writing as well. So there's that kind of bit where the science fiction intersects with kind of myth and fable and fantasy and that's kind of the area of science fiction I've always been most drawn to yeah. creating, um, if not reading and watching. Um, and historical um, uh, drama and fiction as well. That's always been a, a, a big passion of mine. It has. And what, what is it about that that seems to fire your imagination? Or is that too big a, too big a question for no. the short time you no, have? I've had to think about, think about this quite a lot because uh, a yeah. few people have been asking that. I think it's if you're writing something that's set in um, contemporary naturalism, mm. it's actually quite limiting in a way because the audience then if the audience has any prejudice or any resistance to the ideas you're presenting or the characters you're presenting they're very firmly in place so and and also the detail of the world is very much the world that everyone else is in so they they kind of reject any variation Mm. of what they as their naturalistic reality whereas if you put things back in history particularly further back in history or in the form of myth and fable you kind of it's like an act of guerrilla warfare you kind of get inside under the kind of resistance people put up to empathy sometimes that's interesting and and you, you can make people identify with human stories that they might not want to engage with if you put them in a form that they're 
um, the habit of rejecting, you know, like, so for instance, if a young person doesn't think they identify with the issues of an old person, mm. but you, you put that in the form of a, of a, um, some kind of um, fable in which it's about, you know, battling the imminence of death, then they're going to go yeah. there, mm. you know, so it's, it's, um, yeah, I think that's why I'm drawn to it. I couldn't have articulated that um, a wee while ago, but I've had to think about it a lot because um, I've been asked quite a lot recently. You, you've been you've doing, been doing the kind of book tour with uh, with the release of Eases of Light. All virtual, which is wonderful. That's pretty yeah. good, isn't it? <laughs> don't have to move very far. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sitting in beautiful, beautiful Scottish borders, and uh, oh, lovely. You know, just do it, do it from there. Whereabouts in Scotland are you, Rona? Um, in Selkirk, which is in the Scottish Borders. Okay. Um, so it's yeah, it's really gorgeous bit of the yeah. part of the world. Beautiful. Great place to have been in lockdown. I was very very lucky. Yeah, yeah. My mum lives in Inverness, so. Uh, oh right. I, it's a bit higher yeah, up, isn't it? Bit, yeah, a bit, a bit higher. Colder. Up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, not at the minute, but yeah, generally, yeah. <laughs> It's beautiful, beautiful up there. That's um, that's that's quite interesting what you're saying actually about um, the the kind of uh, naturalistic reality versus the fable and myth and legend, because it seems to me again a lot of where your stories happen is in is in that place of intersection where those two areas kind of meet. And whilst you, you, you it's almost like actually your characters are sort of battling or trying to come to terms with um, uh, rationalising the strange and the unknown. The unnatural and the monsters and the, and everything else, with what they do know, certainly in your Doctor Who story survival, that's really seems to be quite core to it. You know, we have the naturalistic setting of Perivale, and then sitting on top of that, we have this the the the, the cheetah planet thing, don't we? Yes, which is sort of like your subtext or your um, I yeah. mean, going way back to that. Um, uh, sort of seminal science fiction film, which I was very taken with, Forbidden Planet. Forbidden yes. Planet. Yes. yes. I forget that. Um, but yeah, I think that was um, my brother, who was a big influence on my early kind of imaginative thinking and watching and reading. He was uh, uh, passionate about that film, and I watched that very, very young. I love that film. And I think there's yeah. something about yeah, that right. that, that the, the metaphorical kind of mm. breaking through, um, was was very um, appealing to me, even at that age. So, how did yeah. um, survival come about then? I'll take you right back to was it nineteen eighty eight ish thereabouts eighty eight eighty nine. I never remember. People always have to tell me. <laughs> um, I was um, I'd done a fair bit of theatre work at that yeah. point. And the BBC were kind of running these uh, almost recruitment schemes to kind of get writers to transition from writing for theatre or other mediums and possibly writing TV drama. Mm. So they were running training courses and workshops down in London and I um, went along to that and various producers and people came and kind of pitched to us and one of them was Andrew Cartmel ah. um, who was attached to Doctor Who at that yeah. point as, the, as the, the main script editor. And I think I kind of basically just leapt at him and went, <laughs> threw oh, yourself at him. <laughs> Please, let me so that and, kind of uh, answer, was, answers my question of were you a fan b- before you wrote <laughs> for it? <laughs> I mean, I I remember watching William Hartnell. Um, I had there was a special cushion on the family sofa, yeah. which was referred to as the Doctor Who cushion, so that Amazing. I could from my face at the <laughs> particular scary moments. Um, so yes, it, it just yeah, it was just part of my life. Had been since I was about two yeah. three years old. So yeah. Mm. 
So, so you threw yourself at Andrew Cartmel and you begged him to look at your script, was it? Yes. <laughs> well, no, I'd, actually I didn't. I mean, fortunately, the, the good thing about yeah. being on that scene was he already had access to all that. So he was yeah. like, oh, OK. Um, and I was part of the point of it was to um, teach us how to write specimen mm. scripts and everything. And, and I think it was probably my grasp of all things who at that point it's very shaky yeah. these days i'll tell you um and my enthusiasm won won him over and uh, we moved pretty rapidly to a co- commission out of all that, right actually. yeah and today we are joined by james moran um who is uh, a writer for doctor who and torchwood who wrote uh, the fires of pompeii um and he also has his novelization his target novelization of that very same story uh well coming out in a couple of days but by the time you listen to this podcast it might have come out a couple of days ago. So, afternoon, James. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Well, by the time you hear this, you should have bought it already. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sh- should have bought it and read it by now. Yeah. I have a child um, to feed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buy buy two coffees. Yeah, and uh, give it to a friend. Yeah. So, um, James, we'll um, we'll just get straight into to some questions here. Then, so um, when did your love of Doctor Who begin? Oh, as long as I can remember, it was it's literally one of the first things I can remember watching on TV. Um, I don't I don't remember when I started watching because mm. I was so young. Um, I just uh, the, the, my first memory is watching the first episode of City of Death, um, and I know I'd been watching it before that, but that's the earliest I can remember. Cause right. it's, so it's just it's just literally always been in my life for for since since, since almost almost yeah. since birth. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I remember stand. I, I, I ran in to watch it, and I didn't. I was just so excited to, to start watching. I didn't sit down, so I just stood <laughs> stood through the whole episode. And then it got to the end where he pulls off his mask mm. for no for no apparent reason, and uh, and uh, then it ended. And I was like, oh, this is the best That's... thing I've ever seen in my life. And my, mother, <laughs> and my mother just, as usual, just went, oh my god, what? Oh, what's that? <laughs> oh, do you know what I was going to say, did, I, did you fall over with shock when he pulled his his mask off? <laughs> It was it was more excitement. I was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" Yeah. He's got a whole. He's got a big green spaghetti yeah. face, and what's going yeah. on? I don't know what. I don't know. I, obviously, I didn't understand anything that was going on when I was a kid, um, especially some of the more complicated ones. But I just, I just loved it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was one of those moments. I remember that one as well. It totally freaked me out at the end because I think we're we're roughly the same sort of age, and it, it absolutely just killed me. I wouldn't want. I didn't want to go upstairs. That's all. After that, it just we, I, no. I, I loved that. We, weirdly, that 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 didn't scare me. But then years later, yeah. Um, yeah. in full circle, when the Marshmen come out, that absolutely terrified me. It's just, yeah, yeah it's just, it's just the, the, the mist <laughs> and the way that the way they sort of emerge yeah. from the water, yeah. and it was all it was so. I, it just terrified me. It's Absolutely weird, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, funny yeah. What, what gets some people and what doesn't get others. Yeah, yeah. 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 But for yeah, me, I think really it was Scarlet because he was just wearing like a normal suit, like a dinner jacket, yeah. white suit with a shirt and tie. <laughs> and then he pulls his face Saturday off and all like green, messy spaghetti stuff. That was like, yeah. what yeah, yeah. the blazes <laughs> is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so James, how did you uh, get into writing, and how, and how did you discover that you enjoyed it, and that you know you were you had a talent for it? Did, did it come from your love of Doctor Who at all? I mean, I, I guess. Uh, sorry, I have a child singing in the background. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I, I think it I, pretty much as 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 long as I can remember again, because I, I was always writing stories mm. outside of class and in class. Um, so, so one of, one of one of the first stories I remember writing was when I was four. In, in like my first year at primary school, and the teacher read it out in class, 
um, and and all the all the kids laughed and and <laughs> clapped. The other kids, I'm talking like I was an adult. Uh, all the other kids laughed and clapped, <laughs> and uh, and I thought, oh, this is this is good. I like that. But yeah, I would uh, we, we'd have uh, we'd have story time every week where we'd have to sit and write a story. Yeah, I think it was just like a, where the teacher could just get a break for half an hour. Um, <laughs> Well, we we get these like big these sheets of paper with like really big lines, and we'd yeah. have to carefully write down this is a house and draw a house, and that took that took about half an hour, and I just got so bored of that. I was like, oh, we're doing the house, oh great, house story again, brilliant. Um, so I just I just filled both sides of it with uh, yeah. a story about a cat and a mouse, um, just to amuse myself. <laughs> um, and so yes, yeah, so I guess that was my first sort of uh, performed story, my first review. Um, but yeah, my 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 sister reminded me recently. I'd completely forgotten this. You know, when when the kids draw those things with the, with the house and the mm. chimney, mm. Um, the chimney smoke and everybody waving, um, and she said that I used to draw all those those ones as well. But mine were always on fire or exploding. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I don't I don't think my style has really changed since. <laughs> yeah, you can see the uh, the horror see influence. Where that goes. You know, yeah, uh, completely. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so b- before we get back into talking about who, um, I'd like to kind of look at your your other works as well, because you, Paul, and I were talking yeah. before you uh, you join us. You've had a really interesting career, you know, writing um, and then and directing as well, and doing shorts and winning awards and features and all sorts of stuff. So ha- how have these, how's all this happened for you, and you know what what steps have you taken to do these things and you know what what's been your highlights as well um i just sort of just sort of fell into it really um just kind of uh right you know writing short stories when i was a kid and not not sort of dreaming mm. that, that i would be able to make a living out of it cuz th- there was no one in my in my town that was that was remotely involved in the industry at all so i would just write my silly stories um watch doctor who and, and i'd always watch the end credits of doctor who as well and make sure i read every single line um, my mum was trying to change the channel to, and she was like it's finished like, it's not finished until the credits are over thank you um, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not alone in that <laughs> no <laughs> I still do that now I yeah, always insist sorry. on watching all the credits um, but yeah it, it just sort of it just kind of kept it was always it was always there in my life as long as I can remember mm. and then gradually well, I sort of drifted into the script format because I found uh, I found a Time Bandit script book <gasps> in um in a in a, a secondhand shop, I just thought it was a book of the film, mm. and and just got it. I thought it had some pictures. I quickly flipped through it and then got it home, <clears> and realised it was the script of the film. And I was like, oh, this is what they write when they make the film. Yeah. And I'd never see, I'd never seen that that mm. format before. And there's a, there's a sort of a little explanation at the beginning of what all the technical terms mean, like what int means and ext means, and 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 I just thought, oh, this this is a good format because I always got really impatient writing stories. I just mm. wanted to get to the get to the action. I didn't want to have to describe everything and what everybody was wearing. I was like, I don't care. Just get get on with the action. Um, and scripts were just they, they were just very very sparse and mm. just be like, run down house, expensive apartment. That's it. Move that's on. It, it's like, yeah. Oh great, I don't have to describe. Um, and they, and they would, especially in that script, they they would put little jokes in the in the action lines. Yeah. And, and I just thought, oh, that's that's not going to be on screen, but that's no. that's just to make the reader entertained and keep yeah, get, yeah. get the reader in the right sort of mood for this kind of thing okay okay calm it down calm it down um <laughs> she she loves singing so i'm trying trying we're not, not going to stop her no worry yeah don't, don't creativity. Stop her. yeah yeah um just don't want to get your copyright flag um <laughs> well, it might be that <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so, so I just started writing scripts yeah. then because I loved the format and I never thought I was going to get them made or anything. I just, I just liked writing scripts. I just mm. sort of in my, in my head, I thought, oh, maybe one day, but I knew I, I knew it kind of wouldn't happen. Um, and yeah, and then just sort of drifted, drifted through, through life, occasionally sending stuff out. Yeah. Um, and I want to, I want a short film competition to get, to get my short film made. Um, and that was, that was the first sci-fi channel or yeah, yeah yeah it was uh, the sci-fi shorts competition <coughs> for the sci-fi channel and it was the second year of it and I, I won I didn't win the first year and mm. I won the second year um, and they made the short and and that was the first sort of validation that I, that I really had which was maybe maybe I could get stuff made and then maybe yeah. I could keep it going um, <coughs> yeah and then just to to sort of quickly summarise because there's, there's years and years um <laughs> got an agent uh, there was there was no Doctor Who hadn't come back at that point yeah. so there was no yeah. sci-fi on TV worth talking about really there was the occasional attempt to, to do a sci-fi thing and they'd be like right we're, we're going to give you five pounds um, <laughs> let's let's hire this this prestige writer to do it who'd, who'd clearly never seen a sci-fi yeah. in his life or it was always a him uh, never seen sci-fi so they'd do something horribly cliched and awful and they wouldn't have the budget to make it look good so it looked terrible and then they and they go oh there you go see it doesn't work on TV doesn't we work. tried yeah, what, what more yeah. could we possibly do yeah. the audience um, has spoken <coughs> what do we know yeah, yeah exactly um, so I so I wrote a film script mm. um, and then that got made and then I and then by that by the time that was out um, Doctor Who had come back Torchwood was on it was a whole massive mm. TV genre revival um, Except for horror, there wasn't any horror TV, and and again, every meeting I had, they were like, "Yeah, horror doesn't work on TV. Nope, just people just won't watch they it." They never watched Buffy. And then a few years later, I know, but then a few years later, when when there was tons of horror yeah, on TV, yeah. they were like, "Have you got any horror stuff?" I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, I did, but but it's Too kind of all now. been done yeah, now." So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you had your chance. Um, you had chance. <laughs> well, exactly. Well, and also all all the stuff I had, it was all it was all like, well, people are kind of done a similar yeah, thing yeah, now, so yeah. so mine just looks like I'd be copying them. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it so just kind of fell into it. Uh, yeah, that that was it. Just I've, I've fallen into every stage of my career, really. Just kind yeah. of if I you know never really had a plan, I just kind of stumbled along, really. It's interesting what you're saying about um, lack of sci-fi and stuff in there, because we, we're kind of talking nineties, I <coughs> guess, or you sort of nineties and the early two thousands ish. Yeah, late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of American stuff coming through, but there was at some point primeval. Oh, was that was that after Doctor Who had started again? I can't remember that. It was but after. It was everything. Yeah, it was. It, it was all after, came after it? the Doctor yeah. Who reboot. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I got my agent in two thousand three. Yeah. I think uh, the reboot came back in uh, two thousand five or so. Yeah. Um, and then after that, the floodgates opened, and, and everyone was, trying to there, do there, there was there was no sort of sci-fi slot on Saturday night, and then suddenly it was like, well, there's the Doctor Who slot. We need to we need to <laughs> compete with the Doctor Who slot. Yeah. So it, it completely changed the landscape. Again, yeah, it, it really yeah, did, yeah, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. I quite like yeah. Primeval. Actually, I thought that was quite decent. You know, it was all right. I loved it. It was great. Yeah. Fun. It was like yeah. dinosaurs and yeah. it's, it's what, what what literally what more could you want? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and a few you know, Hello. not that long ago, it would have been impossible to do dinosaurs on a TV budget. Compl- you know? Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. shows you how much things have developed and changed, and you know, budgets and all that yeah. in the last few years. Yeah. 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 And and was the story which ended up on screen was that always a story you intended to tell or did it come via various yeah. evolutions? Um yeah, I'm trying to think. I think I didn't know I was going to get the master. Yeah. Uh, and that was a huge thrill when I was told I would get to get to do that. Um and I think 
I remember, and it, it was the same on both episodes actually, yeah. the, the biggest bit of restructuring is always around attaching it to something that could conceivably represent hard science if you don't poke it too hard. Um, so the logic of yeah. how the creatures were moving between worlds and what the mechanism was mm. of that, making sure the logic of that was consistent, that for me was the biggest struggle. Yeah. Um, and, and then once we'd cracked that, it was really... Um, uh, the other thing I think I was given was I was told that Ace was going back to Perivale. And I didn't actually, living in Scotland, I didn't know what Perivale was like. So I'd imagined some kind of gritty inner city, yeah. urban environment, hence the kind of motorcycle gangs and all that. And then when I actually saw Perivale, I went, oh! But it kind it's of, a bit posh. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but that's the thing about London, isn't it? Actually, those places are not very far away from each other. They they, they do no, intersect, yeah. intersect and collide. Yeah, and I think also if you're in that kind of cosy suburbia mm. and you've got a rebellious side, then it's a it's a whole other energy, isn't it? So it did work. It definitely did work. But um, yeah, it was it was not what I'd imagined. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, have you got, have you got a question there? You're burning to yes, ask. Yeah, I do. Yes, yeah. so. How do you feel, um, having written the story that could have been the final Doctor mm. Who story? Because it, it certainly was, you know, going out on a on a high. You know, did did you know what was happening at the time? No, we didn't know for certain it was going to be cancelled. Though I think we all suspected. Yeah. We didn't know what order they were going to go out in. Um, so I didn't know that mine would be last. Oh, right. uh, and in fact, I was out of the country when that became clear. Um, and this was long before the days of the mm. internet, obviously. Mm. So the very last scene, Andrew Cartmel wrote that. Yeah. I can't take credit for any of that. Um, and it was, in a way, I'm glad because I think if I'd been burdened with the responsibility oh of signing yeah. off who forever, <laughs> it would have overwhelmed me a bit. So I think he did a really cracking job, but thank yeah. goodness it wasn't signing off forever. Yeah. So did you? At the time you started writing the script, did you have ideas, you know, for, for another one, for another series before the cancellation? You know, was there plans to kind of do more? Uh, no, I think we were, it was pretty beleaguered. I think the right. writing was on the wall. Um, and also, I suppose, I never, I still don't really anticipate yeah. um, ever getting a shot at things unless they're completely in my control and no one can stop me writing them. So, you know, certain <laughs> stage stage work I can just go right well, I'm writing the sequel to that and you know whatever but with, yeah. with with who it's 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 sort of not in your gift is yeah. it so I had one there um which is probably just as well because uh yeah but uh, no I think we knew it was probably a swan song um and quite a, a nice series to go out on actually yeah. there were there were some very original episodes in that one I think I, I think so yeah. actually it, it was I mean for me for, I know for a lot of other Doctor Who fans it was it was it was just I was, we, we interviewed Sophie Aldred a, a short while back, and you know we all kind of said that it happened just at the point when Doctor Who was getting good again, when mm. you know when the stories were not just about running up and down corridors and and fighting off the bad guys as per X number of stories previously. You know they were mm. starting to deal with um, more serious themes about you know kind of growing up and identity and you know sort of finding yourself and and survival is 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 like the kind of hypothesis in. Some some ways of that because again we've had ace's story kind of building and now we get this this story where she kind of has to connect with i mean i i kind of think there's lots of different ways you could read survival but for me it's about connecting with 
uh, her kind of inner self, her you know that sort of primal animal nature that we all have hidden under the the veneer of society. Yes, and also, I mean, very definitely, I intended it to have a, a lesbian subtext. Uh, yeah. Subtext. Which, of course, back then you smuggled these things. Absolutely, in. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> would, would see very them, subtle, yeah. and it, it did. In what I've, feedback I've had yeah. um, since, very satisfyingly, I think a lot of people did see that mm. that needed to, to get that affirmation. So that was, isn't it wonderful now that you you absolutely don't have to smuggle it? Oh, in definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we've got a question from M uh, on Twitter here, who is um, at Sapphic Yazzie, and, and she asks, if survival was written now, how would the story of Ace and Kara have gone? Oh, I would have been uh, uh, explicit. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Brilliant. Ace and Kara fell in love. Um, yeah. It was a powerful, passionate, erotic love, and yeah. they were both well into it. And that would have been a tremendous dilemma, of course, for Ace in terms of, whose side is she on yeah. um, given how dangerous Cara was um, so I think a little bit of that charge is in there but um, it would have been wonderful to have been able to blatantly engage with that and that's certainly something I would have leaned into if I was doing it now yeah, yeah. It's also, um, you know, very kind of, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way, so please don't take it like this, but it, it's, 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 it's made quite easy to understand, you know, the whole theme of survival of the fittest, because all the language, all the dialogue used supports the themes and subtext, it, it pushes it along. There's, I was watching it the other day, and there's like, there's, there's very little that doesn't in some way move or support the story, you know, it's, it's, it's it's a really I mean I love it it's it's an incredible piece of writing and it's always wonderful to see this sort of talent in Doctor Who you know and sort of and it's it just brings me back to the the, the crying shame that it was all cancelled at that moment you know it's just know. yeah yeah and it was really the fans that had kept it going mm. for that last the outcry every time it was rumored oh, yeah. it was going to be mm. I mean I think nowadays with social media that would have been amplified even more oh, well, yeah. Yeah. They, they wouldn't be able to get away with it again <laughs> you know <laughs> Well, maybe not. I mean, but the yeah. volume of letters yeah. was of, always of a number that they just couldn't quite. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, it was the fans that kept it going, and yeah. that we, we all knew that. That and that maybe that's why those last episodes, um, you know, I think people were really trying their best yeah. because yeah. Yeah, you, felt that that, you knew the people that were wanting it mm. really wanted it and had kind of kept us alive. So you felt a responsibility to to do your best, really. <laughs> So, um, James, how did you get to write for Doctor Who? I, I read online that you uh, asked your agent to keep pushing you for it. Oh, yeah, all like regularly all the time. Um, but it was like... She's having a great time there, isn't she? Yeah. Blimey, she really... Yeah. <laughs> Let's give her a code um, credit on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I did. I was, I was like, any time I spoke to him, I was like, you know, any, any chance Doctor Who? And yeah. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll keep trying, I'll keep trying. But it was, it was very much kind of everybody wanted to, to be on Doctor Who. Um, but then he eventually got me a meeting on Torchwood, which I was also watching mm. and loving as, as a fan. Um, so I got a meeting on that. And, and then just because it was my first TV job, I just, I just literally put everything into that and tried yeah. my best. You kept putting your, you know, you're getting your agent to put you forward and then, and then Torchwood yeah. started. Yeah, so I, got, so I got the Torchwood gig and I just, I just thought I'm just going to put everything into it. If I never get another mm. job on TV, then I'll just, I'll just throw the kitchen sink at this. Mm. Um, and I, I think they just, they just enjoyed my enthusiasm and, <laughs> uh, and, and naivety. And also I was very quick. 
I've always been See, very that helps. fast. Mm. Um, yes, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm a fast typist anyway. Like at one point, I was sort of between eighty, ninety words per minute. Wow. Um, so back when, I, back in my in my temping days, um, <laughs> and uh, super temp. Um, <laughs> Fastest temp in Chiswick, yeah. So I think, yeah. So I think, I think that sort of endeared me to them as well. They were like. Right, he's 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 nice to work with. He's quite good, and and he's very very fast. So I think they just appreciated that. Um, okay. So okay. yeah, so so I was sort of doing I was doing that job, mm. and I, I I had been mentioning it to them that I liked that I wanted to do the yeah, to do the doctor yeah. as well, and I just kept, kept dropping heavy hints. I wore a wore a Dalek T-shirt to one meeting. <laughs> um, and I was just like, they're not going to give it. They're not going to. They're not going to give me an episode. But you know, I'll, I'll keep. Uh, Keep plugging I'll keep anyway. pushing and making yeah. them feel guilty anyway. <laughs> just going with a placard um, or never, something like Cyberman. I'd placard. never do that. I would just would never do that now. I oh my god, it's, it's so embarrassing to think about it. Like, what, a, what a pain in the arse. Um, but you know, it's it's worked in other things as well. You know, there's a famous story that Kate Winslet wanted to do Titanic so badly she kept sending roses to James Cameron in, until he gave in. That's different. You know? That's called bribery, Jeff. <laughs> Well, yeah, the old blackmail, you know. <laughs> I, should, I should have thought of that. Yeah, I should have uh, should have brought in some some Dalek donuts or something. Yeah, um, yeah. They, uh, it was uh, it was the morning of uh, I think it was the tone meeting mm. or the read through of, of my Torchwood, one or the other, um, and they called me in an hour earlier. Said, "Can you come in? Can you come in early for a secret meeting?" Um, and, and so I had a week to think about that, and I just thought, God, if this if this isn't to offer me Doctor yeah. Who. When when they know how much I want it, that would be really cruel. It could kick off. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> so, but thankfully, yeah, they, they brought me in. They just said, "Do you want to do an episode?" And I said, "Yes, of course." So, and then they sort of immediately, like, literally the same breath, telling mm. me what what the episode was and and how quickly I had to to get on with it. Again, I think the speed was uh, yeah because it, it was it was May and they were going to film in September. Right, and they were they were again. already built. Like they'd already decided what sets to build in Cardiff, and and they, they'd wangled the deal for the the location shoot to yeah. use the sets in Rome. Yeah. Um, so I think they were just like, who who could literally bang this out as quickly as possible, <laughs> and isn't a nightmare to work with. Yeah, so you yeah. know. So was um was fires? Well, my question was: Was fires your idea, or something something that RTD had that you developed? But I guess they had a a theme that they wanted. You know, if if they were doing well, sets and things yeah, like that they already. Yeah, they they? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they they they'd wanted to do a Pompeii episode mm. since since the first series, that since the Christopher Eccleston series. Um, but it just it was just such a big expense and so mm. complicated. And I think. The timing just worked out that they were able to use these sets in Rome to yeah. sort of balance out the cost, um, and and they and they were like we can work it out, but we have like one or two cheaper episodes. We can bulk up the budget on this. Um, so yeah, so it was just like we, we're going to do a Pompeii episode. Um, we're going to have a we're gonna have a nice Roman family in it, um, and we're building their villa now. Um, you can have X amount of pages on these <laughs> sets that we'll send. We've sent you some pictures that you can use. Mm. X amount of pages in the villa to balance that out, and X amount of pages in the car in the the Wales countryside, which will be sort of the base of Vesuvius. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, we want we want some sort of fire monsters, um, and we want a scene where in the eruption some sort of escape pod or ship comes out in the lava. That's it. We don't have a story. Off you go. If you could <laughs> get something in the next few days, that'd be great. How, so, how yeah, did you find so. that then? I mean, because that that's writing to quite a prescribed <laughs> list of 
stuff elements that you've got to incorporate is that is that a good thing or a bad thing probably makes it easier i Mm. think it it gives you a bit Um, of a loose framework to kind of flesh out but but still make make it yours as well well i'd 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 spent the week like I I always sort of had ideas for a Doctor Who episode, but I'd spent that week sort of refining them and going. I I need to have a lot of ideas here to to sort of pitch if they do offer me the job. Mm. Um, but it was it's kind of terrifying to think what you know I can tell any story in all of time and space mm. anywhere. Where do you start? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so being given those parameters, like, oh mm. okay, and I, and I knew about Pompeii already, so and I was I was interested in the story. Um, so it was like oh it, this is. I've got some parameters. I, I can work. I can work within that, and it's you know, and and you know, some of the some of the thinking has been already been done. I've got a time. Mm. I've got a place. I've got a setting. Um, so that that made it a lot easier. Uh, what didn't make it easy was that the doctor can't come in and stop the eruption happening. That's going to happen. Yeah. So what? So what is the story? <laughs> that that was the tricky bit. Um, and then and then sort of figuring out that. Okay, what if he has to set it off in order yeah. to save the world, and then and then sort of working backwards from that? Mm. Um, basically, all, all my Doctor Who stuff, I'm, I'm just doing variations on Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> Although you did reference the Romans in this one as well, didn't you? Like, oh, I had to. Yeah, yes, had to. Yeah. and I and I'd I'd weirdly just seen that recently as well because okay. I yeah. I did a few. Uh, I did a few DVD commentaries, um, and I just so I just watched it, so I was able to throw in a little reference to that. Which is, I just thought, you know, he's 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 been well, he's been he thinks he's been there before, but he's in the wrong place. Um, hey, these are people. Oh my God, that's so loud. Um, she's 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 a de- she's delightful. She's just very loud. Um, she's a performer. She's she is. Yeah, she will be. Um, I think. Um, yeah. So just kind of yeah. trying to work out work backwards from that mm. and and yeah that, and that's kind of where it started really and then it, and it all sort of developed from there C- can i ask what was it like writing donna so i've read things bef- f- before so like for example <coughs> when the, f- the first wave of books have come out for each new mm. uh, doctor so like when the 13th doctor books came out with with graham and yazin the writers were only given kind of brief bits of information about the characters and, and half-finished mm. scripts and stuff like that. So they sort of had to, you know, develop the characters, uh, y- you know, within kind of only rough, you know, bits of information about them. So how did it work for Donna? Obviously, she'd been in, uh, you know, the Christmas Invasion, but, y- yeah. you know, what, the what runaway was written bride. of that? Runaway uh, the Runaway Bride, sorry, yeah. Um, um, well, in, initially, it was going to be a new companion called Penny. I don't know if that was because they hadn't, um, cast mm. Catherine yet, or if they if they were trying to sort of disguise the fact that it was Catherine, um, but they clearly wanted someone along those lines because they whenever they described Penny, they they were saying that she's very much like like Donna mm. in the Runaway right. Bride, um, and sort of kept using her as a reference. And then finally one day they just said, okay, you can't tell anyone, but it is Donna, so <laughs> just change so just change the name in the file now and start and just go with Donna. So so that because and that made it a lot easier because I was like, oh okay, so it's it's someone I know already. It's yeah. not we're not. I'm not trying to guess who, who's in their head mm, and yeah. who, who this character is. Um, so uh, yeah, I just I rewatched it, and I mean she's so great in it. But the key thing for me was she's not Donna until those last sort mm. of five ten minutes. Um, she because she is massively changed by what happens, mm. and that's when that's the real Donna. And so I was like, oh, that's so that's the core, and that and that's a much more interesting character because you like you know doing that doing the 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 shouty comedy mm. Donna. In one in one special, it's fine, but I don't think you could you could sustain that over an entire series. No. 
So, so she, so she is a different person by the end of it, and and that and that's really fun to write because she can do the serious stuff, but she's still yeah. she's still very funny. And she provides I, the I'm, moral compass for the story as well, doesn't she? Mm, yeah, yeah. quite an important point. There. I, I remember yeah, yeah. thinking when um, you know Catherine was announced that she was, you know, appearing uh, in the Runaway Bride and then coming back for the show. I thought, oh, you know, I wasn't that sure about it, but I, I said this before, <laughs> Paul, didn't I? You know, I was proved so wrong. Um, yeah. and, and she's absolutely brilliant. And like you just said, you know, Catherine can do the comedy, obviously, but she can really do the drama as well. And when I first watched Fires of Pompeii and, and reading the uh, Target book, um, kind of reminded me of this. But it, it's such a great story <laughs> because it starts out all kind of fun and light and everything. And, you know, it's, mm. it's a real laugh. But then that, you know, that core uh, plot element of, you know, that the Doctor's going to have to set the volcano off to keep history on track and everything. Yeah. And then how Donna reacts to that, it, it just, that, like you said, that last kind of 10 minutes or so, it, it changes it so much in, in the kind of dramatic sense. And then that, I think, really uh, informs Donna going forward because her, her arc across that whole series is, is really rich, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's important that she kind of does she kind of does for him at the end mm. what he did for her mm. and that she 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 changes him slightly at the end of that i think and over the over, in fact over all of series four she she changes him quite quite a bit and yeah it was just it was it was it was a big i knew i knew that was going to be a big sort of tough yeah uh, ending to to deal with and because i didn't want to cheapen the fact that a lot of real people die yeah, and I want to honor them yeah. and celebrate them and and just kind of go look this this was really awful um but you know at least we've saved this one little mm, little yeah. family um so that and I think that's why I kind of went so hard on the on the, the romp and the comedy early on because I, I knew I was building to this mm. quite horrific uh, mm. horrifically sad moment there's, there's a really nice bit in the novel where uh Donna's looking at, I think it's a vase or, or a cup or something, and then she suddenly mm. kind of realises that this is today, it, and you mm. know, f- for us, it's it's history behind glass in a museum, isn't it? And it yeah, that yeah. kind of it really hit it home for her. But also when I was reading it, I thought, oh god, it's such it's such a massive concept, isn't it? You know, if you could travel in time like that, you yeah, know, and yeah. To see stuff that you know you, you just see in books or you know b- bits of you know stuff in a museum or whatever, and then it's mm. it's there. It's a, that's a mind blowing concept, and I I thought that section of the book was really nicely done. Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny. It's like Pompeii's a thing I've all, I've always been interested in, always mm. been fascinated by, it, and just kind of thinking, oh, those those poor people, but also mm. they're only those poor people for a very very short amount of their lives. Like they they had a whole a whole life up mm. until that point. But they were just they were just living their lives and having fun and going out for drinks and, and watching plays and having a laugh and, and falling in love and being silly and and I just really wanted to sort of to sort of get that across and that and that but that that cup moment that actually uh, that came from uh, of all things uh, a video game I was playing at the time I've, I I came I've, I've I skipped uh, the PlayStation Four because obviously had a had a kid and no spare mm. time. Um, so I kind of jumped back into gaming with the PlayStation 5. So I've been catching up on all the PS4 games. And <laughs> right. and one of them was uh, Assassin's Creed Origins, um, which is set in ancient, ancient Egypt. And I <laughs> yeah. absolutely love I, I completely fell for it's that brilliant. game. I love that game. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, I was playing it for like a good six months um, to get all the all the little side missions, all the bits and mobs. But there was just there was just a moment where I was just marveling at the the level of detail and how beautiful it is, and what what an amazing experience to be walking through the past. Yeah. And I was just I was just 
I was just trying to find one particular side mission. I wandered around and I wandered to a building and I, and I was like, oh, where, what's this? Where am I now? What's all these scrolls? And I just went, oh my God, I'm in, I'm in the great library of Alexandria. Yeah. And yeah. I just start, I just started crying on my own yeah. in the room playing this video game. I just, just burst into tears. I was like, oh, this is amazing. I've literally just walked into this, this, this piece of history and it's beautiful. And, and it's like, it, it really kind of got me. And I, and I just, yeah. and I thought about that when I, when I was, I was like, how do, how do I get across this, this sort of, uh, how how big a deal this is for Donna? So I just uh, so I kind of threw some of that in there because it it really it really had an impact on me. Yeah, mm. yeah. yeah, it's it's a really great bit. In Wait, so you start playing yeah. Assassin's Creed um, Odyssey? When I, that's that's really oh my something. God, I don't think I, I don't think I'll live long enough. <laughs> to compete in I think I spent I spent a year so playing huge. it. So huge, massive. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I'm very excited, but it's yeah, it's gonna like. Gonna take up the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> right, so. yeah. yeah. Don't, don't keep making them. They've got other stuff to do. Yeah. <laughs> so when um, when the show was uh, the episode was filming, did you get to visit the set, James, and, and meet meet anyone? Did did they fly you <coughs> to Rome? Is, is what I'm mm. asking. They 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 did not fly me. To no, fly Russell <gasps> to Rome. No, even they even Russell, even Russell yeah. didn't get to go. Oh, right, no, he, okay. no, he he didn't he didn't get to go right. at all. He was like he was like the but the money was so tight that even he didn't get to go. He was quite annoyed, but I don't think he had <laughs> time anyway. Um, I'm not sure even Julie got to go because um, it was such a quick two yeah. day shoot. I'm amazed they they got all that stuff yeah, done in two days, stuff, including all the nighttime yeah. stuff with with the yeah the ash raining down yeah, and all, yeah. all the street stuff and it's quite bonkers. Um, but yeah, no, I didn't get to go to Rome, but I I, I did get uh, flown on a train to Cardiff for a day to. Uh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> to uh, to watch, and they said I could watch as much of the filming as I wanted, but yeah. you know, I, I was I was working on several shows at the same time, so I, I couldn't really. I would have loved to watch the whole the whole thing. Um, so I got to go and and be on set for a day. Um, so it's the sequence where yeah. they they've just been chased through the streets by the pineapple, and they and they come in, and and they're just, they're fending it off with water. And there's a bit early earlier in the day um, where they're shooting the. Uh, the bit where Caecilius goes modern art and yes. uh, and all the kind of the family stuff yeah. and then and then the arrival of of Doctor and Donna so so they were all on set um, so I got to chat to Capaldi and um, Phil Davis and, and David and Catherine um, I, I'm I'm probably I probably met Karen Gillan I I genuinely don't remember because mm. because uh, at the time she was like in the background with yeah. like yeah, four or five yeah. other people in the same robes and she wasn't yeah. Karen Gillan then. No, she was she was unnamed soothsayer. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the so, so I, I I may not have met I, I don't know, um, but yeah there was uh, it was and I, I didn't realise that uh, 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 Fran had been cast as Evelina as I I knew her from uh, from Severance days yeah. she was a uh, when when they were when they were casting Danny Dyer they they got her in to read opposite him to do some sort of you know back and forth uh, chemistry screen screen tests for him. Um, and I hadn't seen her, and then I, I was getting out the cab outside the studio, and then she was getting another cab, and she was like, "What are you doing here?" And I was like, "I wrote the episode. What are you doing here?" She's like, "I'm in it." <laughs> uh, it was just—it was really bizarre, yeah, really fun. Yeah, it was—it was great fun. Um, yeah, so 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 I had another moment yeah. on set where because the the villa was sort of like a three-dimensional enclosed thing with a roof and everything, and the, and the steam vents and everything, and the TARDIS is right in it. And I just walked in, and I was walking around when they when they weren't filming, and I was like, "This is this is amazing." The detail, and I kept like tapping things. I was like, "That looks like marble, but it's just it's just yeah, plywood." Yeah. Um, amazing attention to detail, and I was just looking at I look I was looking at the TARDIS and looking around, and and, uh, and I just thought, "God, that, it's weird. It's a, it's an ancient Pompeii villa 
but the TARDIS just looks like it just fits right in. Even though it doesn't, it stands out, but it looks like it fits, and it sort of does that anywhere. And then David wandered in, to, or they were about to get ready for filming, he wandered in in costume. Yeah. Um, and, I'd, and I just said the same thing to him, and he was like, he said, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? He said, it's just like, wherever you put it, it sort of... It just works. It, it kind of blends mm, to the background, it does, yeah. Yeah. It, it, but it also sticks out. And, yeah. I, and, and, and we were just having a bit of back and forth, and then I suddenly, something in my brain just kind of went, you are standing in a villa in ancient Pompeii, <laughs> talking to the doctor about his TARDIS <laughs> and, I, and I just and I just literally lost the ability to speak so that, <laughs> so he must have thought I was he must have thought I was bored because the conversation just trailed off and I was like yeah yeah the, but the gravity of it suddenly just hit you like <laughs> it, a strike it really lightning. did yeah it, it just yeah it, it really it really knocked me sideways yeah. and then I had to go and have a little sit down for a bit um, <laughs> it was just such a weird experience yeah, yeah I can yeah. imagine yeah it's, it's true so, what you say about the TARDIS because uh, oddly enough I was watching City Death quite recently just from one of my occasional rewatches, and there's that is it episode two when the TARDIS appears in Leonardo's room and you're right it, you're right, it just looks in place doesn't it it stands out but yes, it doesn't yeah. stand out it just looks like part of the chaos in the, the set dressing and the furniture which is weird considering that it's got a chameleon circuit that's yeah. broken and the joke <laughs> yeah. is oh it doesn't work now yeah. so, that, so there's this weird incongruous police box but now everyone just kind of goes oh yeah that just got blends in so it, so, so it sort of works so, as yeah, a chameleon circuit even though it doesn't but work. It's maybe it's, it's really on the, 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 I mean, that, the kind of psychic level perhaps rather than the apparent yes. visible level. Yeah, completely. I mean, well, that's yeah. that's why I put in the uh, the modern art reference because ah. there's that bit when with the uh, John Cleese yes, and the LeBron talking yeah. about it in the gallery. I love I love that. And, yeah, <laughs> and, just, and then, it, then it just then it just dematerializes yeah. and, and it just goes extraordinary, exquisite. <laughs> I just it really yeah. it really cracked me up. Um, so, so I thought I've got to got to do a little reference to that, yeah, um, just to yeah. amuse myself. I thought no one else is going to know. Everybody, everyone everybody knows, does. Yeah. It's really, it's really obvious. Well, very attentive <laughs> fans, James, as you well know, being one of us for sure. <laughs> well, Ex- talking exactly, of yeah. um, talking of references, I was quite pleased that there was uh, the mention of Caecilius's face. Oh yes, uh, that, that you added to the book. Mm. With with the doctor saying, you know, I like I like a strong face. Uh, so we Paul and I were talking about it earlier, and thought wondered if there'd be a little mention there. You know, so all the way through the book, I was like, there's got there's got to be something that hints that you know this is Capaldi. Well, the, the the nice the nice thing is is that someone much cleverer than me, Stephen Moffat, had had come up with that solution. So I was like, oh, I'll just I'll just lift that and stick it in. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> people because people would probably be expecting it to be mentioned in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't actually ask him if I if I could do that, but I'm like, hey, it's part of Spotted Top Two canon now. Yeah, What's he going to do? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's probably got a half worked on manuscript for the novelisation of Deep Breath or something. He's going, you buggered. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ruined it. <laughs> so you are Rona. The you, you do have the the privileged honour. Of being the only writer to have written to for the the classic series and the new revived series, so we got um, when we, when we put out on Twitter that we were talking to you, we asked you know people to submit their questions. Most of those which came in were a variation on the question I'm going to read to you now. So this one comes from Chris at Chris Russ One, um, who represents. All the other questions Everyone. that we got on this topic, so I've just picked his out, and he asks, "Was the writing process different between the two stories?" So, in other words, how had things changed between writing screens, uh, writing a screenplay in the eighties to, to to modern day times? Um, quite a lot, in some ways, and not at all in others. Mm-hmm. I think, in terms of writing a Doctor Who story, 
I mean, Doctor Who's Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, the, and the really interesting thing to me is however many um, regenerations there are and however qualitatively different the character is yeah. and the actor play and the, you know, what all the different actors have brought amazing things to it. But the Doctor's the Doctor yeah. and you, you sort of rediscover that you kind of know what that is. Um, and that's the foundation that you're building it on. Um, in terms of the writing process, it was it so yeah as I've described it the first time around it was this little beleaguered, neglected corner <laughs> thing where it felt like there was like three of us in a dusty room in Shepherd's Bush kind of trying to keep it alive and you know push it out and you knew you were going to have Tuppence Heat and worth of resources yeah. you knew it was going to be the quarry you knew um, you know I mean uh, um, we were uh, not to diss the, the the designer on survival. But those are not. That's not the representation of the cheetah people. We would have. I have heard this recycled. said. Yeah, it was recycled from another mm. production. Um, you know, so it was it, it was furry. Um, <laughs> and very hot, I think, for the poor actors. Yeah, I can imagine. So yeah. come to it the second time around, and then it's this unbelievable muscular machine. Mm. And you know you've got the studios in Cardiff, and the Doctor Who experience was still on the go yeah. then. And there's fans at the gate, and they, they've got a suite of office. You know, it's this mm. whole build dedicated to all things Who. I mean, I, I've still got quibbles about how much budget I got, but bloody hell, it was longer. And also, yeah. I think because they were. Um, much more engaged in an ongoing story that ran over all the episodes. So the uh, the relationship to Stephen and to mm. showrunner was different. So there were all those sort of series elements that had to be incorporated, yeah. um, which I hadn't had to do the first time around. Um, so yeah, yeah. So very different some ways and very much the same in others. So how did the a commission for Eaters of Light come about for you and um, what was it like uh, working with Stephen Moffat you know is, was it similar with Andrew Cartmel and you know were they supportive what, what was it, it like with him it was very different Andrew was much more um, sit back and only intervening yeah. what's necessary and Stephen was running this beast and also I mean Stephen is without doubt one of the most um, successful television writers mm. working today, yeah. and his grasp of these big, high-concept, um, mm. long-running stories is incredible. I mean, I really admire that. Um, so there was there was the sense that there was going to be much more active participation. Mm. Um, I mean, so like for instance, the the the, the last scene in the television version of Eaters of Light between the Doctor and Missy—that's not me at all. Um, so all those long-running elements, Stephen was, was yeah yeah I did wonder, mm. and then you, you kind of fit in around that. Mm. Um, so that's quite a different experience. Um, but I think, in terms of how the commission came about, um, I think I was really lucky in that he liked survival too. Yeah. So when he was thinking about who he wanted to bring on board for what he probably knew was going to be his, you know, one of his last seasons, yeah. then he was looking to. You know, check in with people that he'd liked. So I was really lucky that he was a Doctor Who fan and he'd liked those episodes. And I think that's how I ended up getting the gig. Really, that's brilliant. So, was was the idea for the episode was was that all yours, or did he say that you know we want these something like this? You know, because people talk about um, 
like Russell T. Davis would have a shopping list of ideas <laughs> you know, that you give give someone in and try and fit these into your episode. So how, how did it work in, in this instance? Uh, I went into a room with about 17,000 people sitting around a table. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, scary, that what it then. felt like. <laughs> yeah. And we brainstormed, you know, so basically it was like, yeah. so what do you want to write? And then you start talking about what, kind of what we were talking about at the very start yeah. of this conversation. So the sort of things that excite me, the sort of things I'm interested in. Mm. And then we're, and also the sort of things where that intersects with who. Yeah. So for me, Doctor Who represents the, the stories that have been part of my life since mm. I was three years old. And also, I think that's what I've always loved about Doctor Who is you should be able to watch it when you're three years old oh, or 93. Yeah. So it's, it's and, and, and then, so it's, it was kind of imaginatively thinking, so if you go back to that time in my childhood, what are the things that I was passionate about? And then I was talking about, you know, my brother dragging mm. me around kind of various archaeological sites and our search for the eagle of the, the the standard of the uh, of the legion of the, the ninth legion <laughs> and, stuff. and then i remember stephen going romans we love romans yes more romans <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah they've got those costumes already yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. yes yes yeah so that that was so at the end of that it was probably about two three hour session we'd yeah. pretty well thrashed out what it was going to be and you know the the the, the rosemary sutcliffe novel the eagle of the ninth and yeah, and yeah. the things i've done with my brother and the environment i grew up in the yeah, natural environment course, yeah, yeah. that was kind of the fuel to to get it all going yeah Brilliant. and anything with standing stones is uh is, is a big plus in my book frankly i i love those because they do fire the imagination don't you you, you know you start thinking yeah. about the people who created these things and and why and what they believed in and the rituals for the day the habits how they lived all that sort of stuff and it's also the fact they've been there for thousands yeah. of years mm. you know the fact that people have been yeah. standing so the pictish standing stones mm. the symbols nobody knows what the symbol means nobody knows what any of these symbols mean so all yeah. the the um, carvings I describe in the, or we showed in the TV episode, or I describe mm. in the novel, those are actual um, symbols that are on these stones. So they were being put up in um, right at the start of the the Common Era. Yeah. You've got other stones that go back, you know, even further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, the, the, it was the fact that all these symbols. There's this mirror symbol. There's this thing they call the Pictish Beast. Yeah. This, um, you know, um, um, various this comb thing. Mm. It was like a with a comb in the end of it, and nobody knows what they mean. So I thought, okay, so I'm just going to make a story that explains all these pictures. <laughs> yeah. And and uh, you know, why not? Might be true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you never know, do you? It might yeah. be true. But it's it's and it, it it strikes me again because yeah, I think your style is quite unique. You know, there, there's there's a Rona Munro style or a vibe that you get, and it's um, and it, and it's it it's, seems to me that Eaters of Light has a very lyrical kind of quality to it, or you know, that was like a magical reality sort of thing. It's uh, it's it, it, again, it's it's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I suppose that's that 
Yes, I would like to think that. <laughs> I suppose where I was getting at is that it kind of stands out in, in that season for that way. You know, I mean, it's one of my yeah. favourite Doctor Who seasons because we've got such a variety of different stories and we've got a great yeah. overall sort of, you know, sort of narr- narrative arc coming on. Um, I'm going to ask uh, another Twitter story, which is from Softest Butch, actually, uh, who asks, and this takes us back to what we were um, uh, talking about previously, actually, who asks, what was it like being able to write for Bill as an explicitly lesbian companion having written previously for Ace, although we probably actually did answer that, didn't we, I suppose? But was it, was it a bit more liberating in some ways? It was, but what was interesting, of course, was at the point I started writing, mm. um, no bill was going to be... Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. She was quite a late addition. Yeah, but, um, so I was, I'd already done a draft yeah. in which Bill and Carr were having, oh. you know, it was like, right, I couldn't do it first time, so I'll do it this time, right? Yeah. Um, and... Uh, uh, so and then Stephen's pilot episode came in, and I went, "Oh, okay, that's good." Um, yeah, so I moved away from that, so that was quite interesting. Um, but it, what was lovely was to be able to write about it and not have to mm. um, be, not, not make it not, not feel that responsibility. It was like brilliant. She just yeah. happens to be queer. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's brilliant, it's and it, it's it's great in the story as well how she's kind of. Um, uh, thrown on the back foot where she sort of assumes that the Romans won't get the idea she's into girls as she puts it and, and I can't remember the, 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 the character's name but well, now I have to fess up that Stephen not oh was it oh yeah. because I read I read his episode and went oh right okay won't even go yeah. don't even touch that I'll just you know it'll be known and she'll have her you know and I think possibly because he was aware of mm. the legacy survival or you know he wanted to put that in but then what was nice was when he'd done that edition, yeah. I kind of went, oh, do you know, if we're doing that, I would like to do it a bit more substantially. Mm. So when it came to the novelization, I was able to give Lucius a proper love yes. story and um, really make that a, not just a little aside, but a, a, a big part of what the story was about. It, it is. It's, it's core to, 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 the, to the novel, isn't it? What I love about the novelization um, is that we... we we see Carr and her growing up, and then we see Lucius as well, and and the two collide, don't they, in this 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 confrontation? And then of course they get together and defeat the monster. But having having the knowledge of where these two people come from, and their values and their upbringing, and their their ups and their downs, and their loves and their losses, it really makes you feel for the the characters a, a lot more, I think, and in a different way from a TV story as well. Yeah, I think that's the thing you get. That, that what's lovely about getting the chance to do the novelization mm. is you can put in all that stuff that can only ever be backstory in your mm. head, and would just slow the pace so much. If you because you don't really want to sit with characters that aren't the core characters mm. when you're watching your TV episode, but the novelization is like, well, okay, you're steeped in all things who you you know that, so we can now give you this extra stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. you can only get in the novel. <laughs> When the call came in about doing fires for the target range, what, what did you think? Well, I'd, I'd already been in touch with them um, a year before because there, there was there was a there was a batch of the novels had come out mm. the year beforehand, and and I was oh that, that's really cool. And I, I just thought oh I wonder, I wonder if uh, wonder if they'll if they want if they'll want me to do Pompeii at some point. And then then I then I didn't think about it for a few days. And I suddenly kind of thought if they do, surely they would they would. Ask me first, wouldn't they? Would they give me first refusal? Surely, surely they like, would, wouldn't yeah, they? I'm, yeah, I'm sure, yeah, sure. But then I was like, well, maybe, maybe they just, or maybe they'd assume that I wouldn't want to do it. So mm. I thought I better just let them. So I actually got in touch and I said, 
I don't know if you're doing it, but just in case you do one day, um, please just keep in mind that yeah. I would love to do I'm it. Here, so, yeah. so ask me, ask me first, please, because uh, I, I don't want, I don't want the one I get to go to somebody else because I was too embarrassed to, yeah. to mention it. So, so, so yeah. okay, thank you very much. And I was like, oh, okay, that was that. They'll never, they'll never come back to me. Um, <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then, and then they, they, they eventually did, and they said, yeah, we're, we're doing a new batch, and, mm. and we want to do Pompeii if you want to do it. So I said, yes, please. So yeah. uh, maybe they would have asked. Maybe that maybe they wouldn't. But you it, put your you hand know, up anyway. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't yeah. doesn't hurt. No, just absolutely. Yeah. Because be there have been a few things where people have gone. Oh, well, mm. I thought you'd, I thought you wouldn't have wanted to do it. And I'd be like, I'd have loved to do that. So there's been quite a few of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Did you used to read some of the old Target books from uh, sort of seventies oh, yeah. and eighties? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there was because you know I, I grew up in the seventies mm. and eighties. So for some of those, sto- well, most of those stories, they were the only way I right, could get yeah, to, wa- yeah. to watch it in, uh, in inverted commas. Um, and spe- some of the older ones as well, like they, were, they, they, they would never repeat them. Um, no, that's right. Yeah, the Target books is all we was, had. When I was watching, uh, it was either either Tom Baker or Peter Davis. Yeah. No, it must have been Tom Baker because um, he didn't change until I'd moved from that house. I'm trying to remember the house I was in. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I was watching the Tom Baker series, and they were repeating some yeah. of the Patrick Troughton stories at the same time on a on a different channel, um, sort of just afterwards. So so I was watching some of his old stories. Um, but yeah, there were loads that I knew that I would never get to see. I didn't know I didn't know at the time the episodes had been wiped. But uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah I, I used to I used to love them. Scouring the library, yeah. going to secondhand shops, um, just you know just tr- desperately trying to find more target books yeah and you get that sort of thrill of excitement yeah, when you see them. one that you haven't had before that you haven't read mm. that you you could buy or rent or, you know borrow, oh, borrow from the library absolutely <laughs> yeah <laughs> permanent loan <laughs> yeah completely <laughs> um so james uh, obviously i'm aware you're uh, you've got your hands full there a little bit so um we've got one or two more questions for you yeah, so for um uh, have you got any other doctor who work lined up at the moment um, I have. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing, uh, doing a couple of audio things um, for a, a company that I cannot name. Um, <laughs> Does it start with B and end in Ig Finish? <laughs> I, I, I can't confirm that. It it rhymes with fig finish. Um, <laughs> it's funny whenever I say whenever I sort of try and kind of be coy about it. I go, oh, I'm doing I'm doing a, an audio and, and straight away. Like, well, <laughs> yeah. what what other company is there? It's, it's big finish or, or BBC audio. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing I've, I've, I've doing a couple of for them. Yeah. I've done one that's been one that's been partially recorded, and they're recording the rest of it uh, either later this year. Um, uh, and I've just done a draft of another one for a different doctor. Yeah. Um, and I've just started one for a, a third doctor, not the third doctor, a a third doctor. Yeah, so, yeah. so I'm doing can three you, different um, doctors. Uh, can you tell us anything about which doctors? I cannot. <laughs> I, am, I, I, I literally have, have been told not to. I shouldn't even have said that. Um, I can't. I can't say anything. No, no, that's fair enough. That, that's uh, well, we'll look out for those. That'll be yeah, quite yeah, exciting. Yeah. But w- w- you'll probably one of them. You'll probably guess because uh, it's the one I grew up with. So uh, okay, brilliant. Right. But that won't be out. For, that won't be out for ages. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. That that'll be uh, for a few years. Then won't it? Yeah. How how, yeah. how does it feel having having your name, your works, kind of as part of that vast library of stuff that you grew up with? Oh, it's it's bonkers. It's really bonkers. Um, 
Like when I like when I opened the, uh, I got my author copies of the book. Yeah, the other yeah day, I was going to say I saw your picture and, and oh, you were yeah, very excited. Yeah. I, I really, what? Well, yeah, I, but I genuinely, I, I just opened it and saw them all, and I just again just burst into tears because yeah. it was just, it just felt like it was such a, it's such a big thing for me because mm. the, the, these these books were part of my childhood, they're mm. part of my life, um, and I had the same reaction with with when I first saw the the finished episode of the show, yeah. just watching it on a tiny little screen in <laughs> in the mill, the, the mill studios. Yeah. Um, just in one, in one of their little it wasn't even a screening it was a little cupboard yeah. so I was sort of sitting sideways <laughs> watching it on a tiny screen and just like in floods of tears at just how amazing what an amazing job everybody had done yeah, Every, yeah. Like, it, literally everyone else makes you look good on that um, but yeah just seeing your name on something that's been part of your life mm. since you were a kid it's a, yeah, it's a literal childhood amazing. dream yeah. it's absolutely insane and I see even despite yeah. all the other stuff you, you, you've written as well because you know obviously it's not just Doctor Who is it I mean mm. I was um um, my, my, my youngest daughter Freya, she was uh, she was watching two of your works, um, Eve, which we both loved. Oh yeah, actually for CBBC, I loved that show. Really, oh, that was really so much fun. I don't think we ever quite got to the end of it. I think it sort of disappeared, or we ended up doing other things. But and then it was the Spartacle mystery as well, wasn't it? Which is uh, which is oh quite yeah, fun. yeah, that was great fun. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. a lovely show to work on. Really lovely people. Uh, just a really nice, uh, nice. Uh, Nice bunch, nice writers' room, and yeah, 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 yeah. Spartacle was. Good. I got to see some really, really, really fun stuff with Spartacle. That was that was the show where uh, I I I got I got my draft back with the notes. Uh, can you put more slapstick in? Oh really? And I, <laughs> and I was like, yes, I yes. can. I am the exactly right person to, that you you could ask that of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Eve was great. Uh, carry on with Eve because I, I I did. Uh, I did a really bonkers episode for series three. Oh, Eve was um, fantastic. It's, it's, yeah. it's basically it's a Groundhog Day one where she yeah. she is sort of she's using her internal kind of logic predictor to try and sort of play out every outcome of what's oh, about okay. to happen. Yeah. So she's sort of frozen for a split second yeah. while the entire episode runs through her head and she goes through all these different. Oh, so it's like cool. Groundhog Day kind of scenario, but it's but it's so wacky and she's she's hilarious. Poppy is just amazing. Yeah. I I just yeah, I'd say she's like she's like a twenty year old female Buster Keaton. She's just got this real comedy comedy face. Yeah. She can do yeah. this sort of deadpan look. Um so kind of switch on the robot kind of thing. You know, just Absolutely, like in a second yeah. she's there. She's so yeah, she she was just hilarious. Um and just yeah, I threw all I, like I threw in a bit of her singing Yankee Doodle Dandy, and I was like, because oh, I knew she could do it. I knew she could just she would just f- fully commit yeah. to it, and she's she's amazing. So so um, when you're writing yeah. the dialogue for these guys, the, the, there's no difference in your head that you're writing for younger people. You, you know, you're giving them the same sort of challenges as you would for for, for adults. Oh yeah, pros. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I, I I mean I think it's I think it's harder for for kids stuff sometimes mm. because because they will they will spot stuff that you could probably get away with in, in an adult show. Um, like they'll, they'll see right through it. So you've got to be really, really, you've got yeah, to be much cleverer yeah. to do a kid's thing or, or pretend to be cleverer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but the, but the, but the themes and, and, and the weight of it is, is, is just as hefty sometimes more because, yeah. um, I remember my, my, the first meeting on, uh, on Spartacle, it was my mm. first proper kids show. Um, and they were talking about some some plot thing, and they said, and of course, you know, obviously we can't we can't show people being killed or or, or threatening to be killed on screen. So so we so we can't do this thing. And I just went, oh God, I t- hadn't thought about that. Um, and I was like, well, that's all my ideas. <laughs> <out the window." laughs> 
scratch um, that episode. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's because, it, and, and you and you think about it, it's like it's so easy to have a character mm. on screen threaten somebody with uh, with a, with a sword or a gun or something. Mm. It's like oh, that that's instant easy jeopardy. Yeah. But yeah, when you can't yeah. do that, you have to really kind of dig in and go, oh wow, what's what's the What's the equivalent for kids? So you have to be more you know, creative, what, I suppose, don't you? And then find yeah, different yeah. ways what's for the these threats the, to be made manifest. What's the what's the emotional torture mm. you can do, which is much worse than uh, than actual torture, I think. Yeah. So that just sounds terrible, isn't it? It's just like <laughs> how, do, how, do I, how do I emotionally <laughs> torture? We might use that as a soundbite. Children. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. one of those things that you take out of context. <laughs> so it's wrong. James discusses emotional torture <laughs> <laughs> for adolescents. Even in context, it's not great, is it? <laughs> But that's, that's the writer's geno, isn't it? You know, you've yeah, got to yeah, think it. of these threats and jeopardies yeah. and how your characters get through them. Oh, completely, yeah. And you're sort of fighting with yourself because you're mm. like, right, how do how do I how do I hurt hurt and kill these people? And then it's like, right, how do I how do I stop that from happening? Yeah. And, mm. and how do I counteract the hero stopping that? And and just this weird back and forth, trying to outwit yourself. And uh, you know, if you if you're not if you're not very clever, then it's uh, it's not that not that. <laughs> yeah. I d- in fact, for my for that that second Eve episode yeah. of the Groundhog Day one, um, I, I distinctly remember I was just in the middle of typing at halfway through the fir- the first draft, and I just stood up and just grabbed my head and I just went, I don't under, I shouted like really loud, I was like, I don't understand my own plot, it's too difficult, <laughs> and there was no one there was no one in the building, and I just sort of stood there and and I went. <sighs> and just sat down and carried on typing. So like, no, one, no one's going to fix it for you. So it's all down to you, James. Nobody yeah, else. It is. <laughs> last, last question for you then. So, what's next for you at the moment, other than other than the aforementioned who, which we can't talk um, about? Yeah, yeah. I've just I've just handed in a draft of a of a two part audio. Um, I've just started uh, a one part audio. Um, the very, the very first one that's half recorded that's all that's all mm. done from my end um just thought of that um i'm doing oh, what can i what can i say um i'm doing another uh episode of an animated show oh um which is which i'm really excited about yeah. and i'm doing right. uh i'm doing two episodes of a new uh kids teens series which is they've just had the first series uh, on the cbbc yeah. Um, so, so I'm doing two episodes of season two. So great. Um, that's not really a clue because there's loads of stuff on the YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to think what 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 might I know? Oh, there's yeah. there's tons, there's tons, yeah. of, there's tons lots of things I'd love yeah. to do. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I've just handed in the yeah. first draft of of the second episode of that. Um, so you're yeah, keeping so busy, really busy. Yeah, yeah, busy. Yeah, half half this year. Yeah, it's good yeah, job it you're a fast typer. Yeah, super fast, super super, <laughs> super temp. Um, yeah, and it was it was sort of quiet, weirdly quiet last year, and then yeah. and then this year it's suddenly, suddenly all sort of kicked off again. Up. But that's 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 the job, really. That's just the way it is sometimes. Of, yeah, things go quiet, and then it all and then it all kicks off, and then mm. and then the last the last four things mm. that I worked on, weirdly they all had deadlines the same week. Oh, um, and and they're different companies, different yeah. people. They've never spoken to each other, never met. But it just it just always seems to work out that it's way. It's just the way I, the I universe happened at that point. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, so I had to do some <laughs> some very quick sort of scheduling and, and moving yeah. stuff around. It's like uh, it's like when you got when you got to when you got to bills overdue bills. Yeah, yeah. It's like once which, which one which one can I pay? <laughs> which one yeah. can I pay first? <laughs> 
Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, James. And uh, if, if anyone um, has not yet picked up their copy of Fires of Pompeii... Do so. Uh, uh, yeah, do so. I highly recommend it. It was, it was great to uh, kind of rediscover the story and dive a bit deeper into it. And, um, yeah, I've, I really enjoyed spending my weekend... Well, my evenings over the last weekend with uh, Tenth Doctor and Donna again in, uh, in oh, the it's, spectacular it's adventure. They're, they're not, not as much as, as I enjoyed spending time with them again they're just an absolute pleasure to write Donna I could just I could write all day every day for the rest of my life <laughs> and nothing else and, and I'd be yeah. happy yeah she she's yeah she's so great I love the uh, the Epcot joke in in the in the book yeah. and the episode as well that was that was so that's that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a Russell special joke though <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Whenever, whenever, whenever someone uh, picks out a joke that they love, if it's one of his, I can't, I can't, I can't steal the credit for it. Yeah, it's, a, so. it's Russell. You'd find, you'd find out. Annoyingly. Find out, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's it's fine. Cause it just, it just again, yeah. like, it just, it all, it all makes me look good. So mm. yeah, it's all. That's, so, that's what that's what he does. It's a great chat, James. Thank you so much for yeah, uh, spending time much. with us. And, uh, no worries. Hi thank to your you. daughter as well, who's yes. uh, made a presence felt on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you, little one. She, she's been uh, she's been well behaved. Really, yeah, so. it's been yeah, brilliant. She's, been good. She, she's a she's a pretty good kid. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly. Yeah. Good luck with school as well. Thank you. Thank you. How, how did you um, approach writing the novelisation of it? And you know, was there so, something different that you wanted to achieve with it? And um, also, can I ask when? The call came in about doing it. What, what did you think? How, what was your reaction? Jeff always does this, by the way, Rony. He I always did. asks two questions <laughs> yeah. for one. Yeah. Right? And, it chucked so in, and, and chucked in a bonus third. Yeah, I was just thinking <laughs> the same thing, actually. Yeah, I must stop doing this. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, when, the, when the call came in, my first thought was, don't have time. I really yeah. don't have time, especially by Christmas. Um, and then, I will admit, I didn't realise... Because you know, you know that your um, rights to the story are mm. um, uh, uh, it's basically the BBC's property, isn't it? To yeah. an extent. So I, I must admit, having not going back to the small print of my contract, I thought I see no, and I thought, oh, I don't want someone else to do it. So um, I thought I've got to try. Yeah. Um, and then actually approaching writing it, I um, had a conversation with Jenny Colgan, who's okay, an yes. amazing writer who's done quite a lot of the mm, target novelizations. Yeah. And she was really helpful because she said, it's really simple for you because you've got your TV episodes, you've yeah. got your plot. So all it's about is putting in the backstories, putting on all the things that they didn't give you the budget or the time for, and job done. And that's pretty much, she was right. <laughs> it was Did you find it quite an easy process and was it quite easy to write? Or is that an it inverted commas? Yeah. And I think, had it not... Um, you know, so if the the target editors mm. had not welcomed what I did, yeah. I would have been in deep trouble. Um, so what the blazes is this? What yeah, have you done? Exactly. <laughs> then I would have been yeah. uh, up the proverbial creek. Um, but I think it, the another thing that helped me was because it was very much always this evocation of yeah. this natural world and people's relationship to this natural world and the seasons. And really, we were still we were still coming out of the second sort of set of big lockdowns. Mm. So at that point, I'd been a year and a half in lockdown yeah. in a very, very beautiful rural place, <sighs> which is where I live and where where you know I was brought up in a place like that. And I'd really reconnected to the importance of that, and particularly my love of crows. I got a bit obsessed with yeah. all covids in um, cro- cro- not covids. Um, what do you call them? Corvids. Covid. Um, yeah. Yeah, during lockdown, I got a bit um, uh, obsessed about it. And you see the great flocks of them. Where yeah. I'm sitting now, I'm looking out over 
kind of uh, woods and, and hills and you see the moving um, as the at sunset and dawn they're all coming out in these great flocks yeah and, and they travel terrific distances and also places that are rookeries mm. have often been rookeries for hundreds of years if nobody really? disturbs it and fells the trees there's one um in uh, um, over in dumfries and galloway yeah. which has been a known rookery for getting on for 800 years wow um, and you can see it sometimes in place names. They'll have you know, of course, yeah, and, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and and I really got um, completely. I mean, as you can tell from the the, the episode, I was already quite interested yeah. in them. But I got completely obsessed, and um, and I was doing the thing because you you don't know where they're going. But what you have to do is as as the sun sets, you can see them start to stream yeah. across. Guy. So if you kind of <laughs> run along the road behind you, them, follow you can find out where they're going, where these huge rookeries are. So I was doing a bit of that as well. Uh, um, as, as anyway, the uh, expression as the crow flies. Exactly. That's a very long-winded way, <laughs> yeah, way of yeah. saying that I was. Um, I I had these kind of minor lockdown yeah. obsessions. But, um, yeah, I, I think we probably all did, didn't we? Yeah. 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 But that—that that, I mean, that—that's that's a particular obsession that really adds some flavour and depth to the novel as well, doesn't it? Because they—it's—it's it's like the the corvids, right? Because that—that's a term I only learned after reading your novel. I had to look up what it was, and and um, but it's it's almost like they're a kind of uh, a chorus on the narrative. You know, they kind of um, they they precede it, they end it, they're there throughout, kind of just sort of weaving into the you know into the narrative flow or you know like that kind of chorus does in uh, sort of medieval plays that or the greek yes. plays that kind of thing yeah yeah and they know more than anyone else yes that's it but they're not telling everything no <laughs> no, no. no and that well you know limited vocabulary indeed it's the kind of thing, you know. I can see Stephen Moffat actually taking and running with into some crazy bonkers areas if he if he was allowed to. <laughs> Talking crows. Do you remember they they had um, they had robot crows at the Tower of London for the unit base, didn't they? In uh, oh, they did. Day of the Doctor, oh, I think. Yeah. 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 So yeah, maybe, maybe these ones are similar, come back in time or something. Yeah. Something like that. Um, so, Rona, we're aware that your time is a little bit limited, yeah, so um, we've just got maybe two questions left, I think, Paul. So we've got one here from uh, The Devon uh, on Twitter, who's at Devon The. Um, obviously, Jodie's time is coming to an end, but would you write a story for the, ter- ther- for the 13th Doctor, if you could? Um, I think I'd never turn down an opportunity to write for Doctor Who, ever. Um, Great answer. <laughs> uh, but it would, it would it always have to be the right story, obviously. Um, yeah. But you know, I'd never... I'd never not want to. Brilliant. Do you um, do you have a little um, uh, little set of ideas banked that could be good Doctor Who stories? No. Well, probably. Um, yes. <laughs> We've gone from um, to yes. That, yeah, that's what yeah, you're thinking it, it now, was, isn't it? Because yeah. I was just thinking it's been quite interesting on this yeah. on this conversation to have to revisit how we came up with Ages of Light. And in that sense, yes. Yeah, then yeah. I, I, I was going to ask, but I thought I'd thrown too many questions at you back then. But yeah, I, I wondered what other ideas were were pitched and floating around back back then. Yeah. Well, it's also I think just realizing what the the steps were mm. to find that. Mm. Um, it's not like I, I, I've always got things 
where I go, oh, I haven't found a place for that yet. I haven't found a place for yeah. that yet. So, uh, yeah, I would I would certainly have a lot I would be trying to offer up. So the fuel yeah. is all there. It just needs to yeah. be, just needs a vessel to pour it into. Exactly. There you go. That'll yes. help you out there. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next on the horizon for you, Rona? Uh, well, very excitingly, I had I wrote um, some stage plays yeah. back in 2014 that um, had then a... Um, uh, quite a large further life but they were um it was a trilogy of plays of the first three Stuart um uh, actually not first three Stuart kings it doesn't that doesn't matter three scottish kings with the yes. name james so james first james second james the third and it was um to really make a period of scottish history that's completely mm. invisible to everybody visible and make it very contemporary and make it very accessible um, and it was sort of inspired by having a huge prejudice against Shakespeare and then seeing Shakespeare's history plays done well mm. and realising how accessible they are when they're done well, because they, obviously they were made for ordinary people. Absolutely. They were made yeah. for mm. academic yeah. degrees. And also the other thing that struck me was all we know about that period of history is in popular imagination, you know, in, in, in is comes from those plays. Um, right or wrong, it sort of starts with those plays, and we didn't have an equivalent in Scotland. So very arrogantly, I thought, oh, well, I'll try and do them. <laughs> um, so I did the first three, and I've got another two coming out. Um, we go into rehearsal in August. Yeah. And then James the Fourth, Queen of the Fight, opens um, at the end of October, and then a play about Mary Queen of Scots opens a few weeks after that. I think um, one of our, our Twitter friends is going to see one of the yeah. shows, Ga- Gail Ramage. So, yeah, we just, she said she wanted to let you know that she was going. So, yeah. oh, that's I, I can't remember which, which show it is off the top of my head, but yeah, so she, she's looking forward to that, yeah. Oh, well, I'm really pleased to hear it. Yeah. So, uh, Rona, we should probably let you go. As, uh, no doubt you've got a busy day as well, and probably more interviews and things to do as well. <laughs> but, but thank you so much for Actually, taking the I'm time. I'm going for a train. I'm going to be travelling down south to you guys, who are, I believe, sweltering in 30 degrees. Of yes. Pretty warm out there, yeah. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm missing aircon in the office here. <laughs> fantastic yeah. Rona thank you so so much thank for your, you so your much. time we really enjoyed our conversation and we look forward to seeing more stuff from you as yes. uh, as time goes on and of course Rona's novel The Eaters of Light is out from 14th of July so it may actually yep. be available by the time you're listening yes, to this so by podcast by the time you're listening yeah you, you can go to Amazon or your local bookstore and pick up a copy you won't regret it so enjoy it it's a super book yeah brilliant thank you Rona thank you Thanks, as always, for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our chats with James and Rona in this episode. Um, Their two Target novels are now available. Uh, Paul's told me to tell you that you can get them online or in physical shops. In actual bookshops. Support your independent bookshops. So so do go pick them up if you haven't already. And if you have read them or you're going to be reading them, do tweet us and let us know what you think of them. uh, We hope you've enjoyed them. So, yeah, brilliant. Thanks, as always, everyone. And we'll catch you next time. Thank you, listeners. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Bye.